The Oxford Advanced Learner's Dictionary defines social justice as the fair distribution of wealth and opportunities within a society. Dictionary.com defines social justice as fair treatment of all people in a society, including respect for the rights of minorities and equitable distribution of resources among members of a community. Welcome to the Scripture and Plain Reason podcast. An engaging podcast where we affirm the authority and the clarity of Scripture. My name is Ryan. And my name is Brian. Welcome back, listeners. I'm really excited for this episode, Brian. We're going to start talking about social justice and racial justice. Here we go. Yeah. And we've been talking about a lot of topics that are tense, I think, is a good way to put it. Yeah. I mean, the whole series of plastic people in a liquid world. Yeah. A lot of controversial, I think we could say. Yeah. But we've been getting some good feedback from listeners and... I don't know that anybody sent any hate mail, but I don't know that we've ever given any addresses for that. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we let's avoid doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so before we jump in, though, I wanted to start with just quickly asking you about the run, because in the last episode, we recorded it a week and a half before your run. All the Ragnar race yeah. in New Hampshire. But the run is done now, and it's I, great. I have to hear how it went, and I'm sure our listeners want to hear as well. Yeah, thanks for asking. It was a lot of fun. And I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Um, We had 12 in our team, and most teams have 12. Some are ultra teams. They only have six. And it's about a 201-mile race from the middle of New Hampshire up in the White Mountains down to the beach, to Hampton Beach is where you finish. So um, we were in two vans. So basically, we split our team of 12 into two, six in each van. And uh, we each had three legs to run. Uh, they averaged about somewhere between seven to eight miles per leg. And we were supposed to be finished at four, I think, 425 on Saturday afternoon. And we actually finished at 230. Wow. So um, we finished a lot earlier than we thought. That's and great. Uh, we were very pumped about that. And uh, it was just a blast. I, I think I told you they had this thing that was very motivational. I'm not sure it should have been. But every time you pass somebody while you were running your leg, it was considered a kill. And so you place those on your van with a window chalk. And so when you'd pass somebody, I just felt like this adrenaline rush. I wanted to say dead. <laughs> I didn't do that. I didn't do that. And I didn't count out loud. I think. Some of the others might have. Um, shout right. out to Craig Bryan. I think he was he was counting out loud every time he ran past Two, someone. Yeah, three. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that was motivational. And then and then the other side of the relay, knowing somebody else on your team was waiting for you to come and basically pass the baton. Mm-hmm. The whole th- experience was so so much fun. I would do it again. So what do they do when you go off? They drive ahead seven miles and then. You obviously catch up after a half hour, 45 minutes. Yes. And so they usually are able to pass you. So they take a picture of you, honk the horn, cheer. There's places where they call it van support is allowed. So your van can actually pull over, you can get out, and you can cheer them on. Oh, nice. We didn't do that, and I was glad. I didn't want anybody pulled out (laughs) watching me. Um, Usually they pass you while you're on this hill. Mm -hmm. So you're just hoping they pass you fast because you feel so slow. (laughs) Um, but yeah, they would go to the next, what we call the exchange and that was on the app. Mm -hmm. So they knew where to go. And we had a couple of navigators in our, our van that just would tell us where to go next. Got it. And so we'd get there and you had this bracelet 
and basically you would just snap it on the runner like a baton and they would take it like a baton and go to the next exchange. And while our van was doing our legs, the other van was going to a hotel to try to get a couple hours of sleep, shower, yep. maybe a meal. Got it. And then they would meet us at the exchange. I see. So okay. um, Anthony was in their van, and he was their last runner. I was our first runner. So when he would come across, I would take his baton and go. Got it. It was a lot of fun. That sounds cool. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get into the topic, I think we're going to have to do a weekly update on Dolphins Pats here. I know last it's time- going the wrong direction, <laughs> so we can actually delete this part of the program. So you, I have to hold you to this. You're really hoping for a two and one start, and you got one win. So one and two, right? One and two. Our quarterback's injured. Yeah. Our backup, who I think has won one game that he started in like 14. At least it's, he's been there for a while. He has experience with the system. Going to Green Bay, it's not looking good. Yeah. And you guys are on the opposite side. You're 3-0. and You just beat the hottest team in football, the Buffalo Bills. You're smiling. I wish the listeners could see it from ear to ear. And I you've am. got that Merino jersey behind your head. You should be. I'm really happy for you. I appreciate that. You know, I, I thought a lot about Romans 12. It says, rejoice with those that rejoice. And it's hard because... I'm so used to winning, and you're so used to losing. And I was able to weep with you, but <laughs> rejoicing with you is really hard. It's got to be easier, though, that you've had all of those opportunities of winning seasons. You would think. I just <laughs> don't know what it's like to be normal. Well, you're feeling it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll keep uh, updating our listeners on this back and forth on not. Dolphins. Listen, I am not getting my hopes up too high about this team because I've seen it come crashing down very quickly for 20 years, but it does feel like a bit of a different atmosphere and culture with this team. The coach yeah, is different. This coach is, is amazing. Yeah. I saw him, of course, the first game against mm. you guys. And I said to my son, Aiden, I said, he, he's, he's the real deal. Yeah. He does look like a mad scientist. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what, whatever's going on in his head over there is working. Exactly. Yeah. So this time next week when we record, you guys could be four and zero. Oh. We could be, and that's four not easy teams either. I'm giving the Pats, you know, they're still a really good team for the most part. Great Thank defense, you and for saying that. And we beat the Bills, and we built beat the Ravens, and if tomorrow we beat the Bengals, four and zero oh against four good teams. That's that's pretty impressive. Yep. Will you begin to believe then? Because when I text you, you always still sound like, oh, it's lucky. Yeah. At what point do you start really saying, this is a good team? If they come away with a win against the Bengals or keep it close to the end, I will be a believer. And I only say that because they just had a really hard-fought game against the Bills where they got really lucky, but it was 100 degrees, and they are shot, and they're they're going on a short week into Cincinnati. So I have a feeling this could be a loss. But as long as they keep it close, I'm a believer. And you guys still hold the record from 1972 with Don Shula as the only undefeated football team. So I know at some place in your cranium, that memory of repeating that now with 17 games is in your head. Listen, I track it every year, and there's only, I believe, two teams left. One is the Dolphins, and the other is our hometown Philadelphia Eagles. Just hoping the Eagles lose one of these weeks. I, I'm certain they will. They're not that good. Um, but yeah, I track that every year. I was a Bears fan in 85. They were going for an undefeated season. Monday night against the Dolphins in Miami. They beat. wouldn't let it happen. 
and I was a Patriots fan. Of course, I still am. I was a Giants we were, fan that day. <laughs> we were 18-0 and 0 going into the Super Bowl, going to run the table, and we lost. Yeah. So you guys still hold that record. Yeah. Hopefully it sticks forever. Enough about the Dolphins. All right. Let's get into this. So, Brian, I thought it would be a good place to start by just taking a little bit of a walk down memory lane and specifically recent memory, uh, especially when talking about racial justice. Tension has gotten really high over the last few years. And you think back to Ahmad Arbery when he was running in that neighborhood and, and got shot. George Floyd, obviously, was a huge news story. And I think of Rayshard Brooks as well, who um, was asleep in a Wendy's drive through and ended up getting shot in the Wendy's parking lot. Now, uh, Rayshard Brooks, I think, tried to steal the taser or the gun from the police officer. So uh, certainly the police officer, I think, had some merit yeah, right. in, in um, defending himself. But all of these situations were just really bubbling up in our culture and in our country. And I know you had some things that you were experiencing during that time as well. Why don't you just share with our listeners what was going on? Yeah, I think as we came into 2020, I'm trying to remember exactly when we pull this kind of uh, collective group together. Um, but it, I know it happened just after the shooting of Ahmaud Aubrey. Our brothers and sisters, African-American brothers and sisters in our church, we'd gotten together with the uh, some of the elders just to talk about how we were living together in harmony in our local church. And and when this took place with Ahmad, I, I'm a runner, and it really hit me hard to, yeah. you know, think that someone could be out jogging and this could happen in South Georgia. It appeared, and, and evidently after the ruling, they basically hunted him down. So... We got together and we we're talking about this, and, and it was a really helpful conversation. I remember that. So this is February 2020. It's before COVID, and it's certainly before um, May 25 of 2020 when George Floyd was was killed. So we're having these conversations, and then this happens with George Floyd. We're having more conversations, and I just found my heart overwhelmed with the optics of what we were seeing with the video of George Floyd's death. And then the just the real groundswell in our culture, in our country, actually, it went global in terms of Black Lives Matter. And are we allowing, are we encouraging, are we participating in discrimination and racism? You know, is this police brutality something we're turning a blind eye to because it's not happening to us? So all that's going through my mind. And as a pastor, I'm like, okay, so what can we do in terms of communicating to our black brothers and sisters, our brown brothers and sisters that, you know, we want to be unified in the gospel. And I remember right after George Floyd was killed that Sunday following, I just shared with our people at the beginning that, you know, we need to listen to our brothers and sisters of color. We need to lament if if we have sinned against them, if we have participated in, in um, prejudice and discrimination and even racism. And then I said, we need to learn from them. We need to listen, lament, learn. And probably we just need to be quiet. And I fundamentally believed that it should have been the approach that we took. But what I would say is, at the time, I really do believe my motives were pure before the Lord in seeking to help and listen and lament and, and learn. But I really didn't understand what was happening culturally and 
a larger ideology that we've been speaking about over these last few episodes that was really overshadowing these two major events that were so publicized. And then you're like, okay, wait, I did have a heart for this, and I do have a heart for this, but but what you're teaching and where that's coming from. So all I had to do was go to Black Lives Matter official site and see what they had on their website at the time. They were the destruction of the nuclear family. They were pro-gender theory and, and Marxist. And I'm saying, wait, wait, wait. So, so yes, Black Lives Matter, but, but, but that organization, that's poison to our people, to all of the different ethnicities. So I remember it, it was like a push the brakes a little bit because I realized, wait, there's an engine that's pulling this train, and it's not just let's be non-partial, let's show the unity of the gospel in the local church, let's care for one another that come from different cultures. This is much bigger. And it was almost a moment where you're like, okay, I've been taking my family to a restaurant that has become a favorite restaurant, and then I hear that they have been known for unsanitary conditions in the kitchen and that there might be some poisonous uh, food that's served to my family. And all of a sudden, I'm like, push on the brakes. Yeah. we, we got to hold off on here and see, see what, are we, what are we really drinking from? So my experience was I think I led with my heart or I was being led with my heart pastorally, and I'm still there. I, I want to make sure that our brothers and sisters of color and different ethnicities that are part of our local church are are cared for with the same degree of equality in the gospel as anyone, mm-hmm. even the majority ethnicities. But I was very much aware that we were going down a path that had a lot of danger to it. And um, that's my story. My story was I, I, kept, I felt like I was all in on the movement, and then I realized, wait, this movement is more than showing compassion, and it's more than, than justice, biblical justice. This is something different. Yeah. And that's going to be the topic here today. It was different than biblical justice as I understood it, as I saw it in the scriptures. This was something altogether of a different definition, a different ideology, and certainly a different goal. Yeah, and I had a similar path with regards to feeling compassion for these individuals that were suffering. And and then you start seeing some of the things that come out of their suffering, right? And these, it's almost like you start seeing people taking advantage to a degree of their suffering and uh, financially benefiting significantly from their suffering. And that's when the red light started to go off for me a little bit. And you mentioned Black Lives Matter and their website two of the founders of Black Lives Matter were on a recording and admitting to the fact that they were trained Marxists. Wow. That's scary. Yep. So, yeah, it's amazing how all of those, to your point, those different ideologies were like hopping on the train uh, that was going along at the time. And, you know, we were talking about this before. You had so many things bubbling up with COVID and with the election and with all the racial justice that it was just, like a volcano, and it was it bursting. Did. Yeah, and I think we were talking about that probably off air, that it was like a nasty stew. Yep. The racial social justice thing, Black Lives Matter, and all of the, the upheaval after George Floyd, Maude Aubrey, and then you had the COVID, and you had the pandemic, and then you had the 2020 election with Trump and Biden, and it became two teams. Yeah. And, and there was no middle ground, so you, you were either – 
completely on board with all the restrictions, all the mandates, the vaccine, everything that we were being told by CDC. You were either in lockstep with that, you were anti-Trump, and you were also completely in on Black Lives Matter and social racial justice. That was one team. And there's only one other team. You had to be fully in support of Trump. You had to be completely against all restrictions. You didn't care about anybody else's life. You were a person who was just kind of like a a maverick when it came to all things COVID. And you were also someone who didn't think that there were any racial inequities taking place in society. So you were just, you were either on one of those teams and there was no middle ground. So you couldn't have any nuance. You couldn't say, yeah, you know what? There's some things I really don't care for with this this Republican ticket. Um, there's some things about COVID restrictions that I think are very helpful and wise. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do see some areas where we could really work towards better relations with our black and brown uh, brothers and sisters. But there was no middle ground. And that was very frustrating because I just remember this, and you do too, as seeking to lead the church through those moments, you were expected to declare which team you were on. Which side, yeah. So true. And it was all in the same package. Mm-hmm. And and it, it took a little while for me to realize, wait, all of this just conflated, and now there are only two jerseys. Yep. You don't get to wear a middle jersey. It's really sad. Well, we have spent the first almost 20 minutes here just kind of setting this topic up, and I think it was all very important. We're not going to take a break today. I just want to remind our listeners, if you have comments, please make sure you leave them. Of course, we need to hear topics that you, as our listeners, want to hear from us. So make sure you provide those as well. And you can add those to our Facebook site. You can also uh, go to our website, which is scriptureandplainreason.com. There's a place there where you can contact us. You can leave a message. And that's a great place where we've gotten some ideas for future shows. So keep those coming. Absolutely. All right, Brian, so why don't we get into our first question? And it's really not a question. This is more of something that you and I can kind of go back and forth on. And it revolves around the church in particular, but when speaking about social and racial justice, what are some things that we're trying to accomplish when doing that as part of the church? Why don't you kick us off with one? Yeah, I think one of the major things is we want our black brothers and sisters and brown brothers and sisters to know that they're being listened to and that we actually aren't going to throw out okay, that's CRT, that's wokeism. No, that shuts down conversation. And that's where I say there should be a wonderful, loving, grace-filled middle ground where we can have a conversation without someone labeling the other person. So I I think one of the things we want to accomplish is be able to genuinely listen because I am white. I've experienced life as a white person. They've experienced life as a black person. I know there's some differences there. And I ought to be able to listen to that without being accused of, being woke. Yeah. And I should not shut down conversation by saying that person's only believing in CRT because they want to share their experiences that sure. are different. Yeah. And I think what's great about the church and our church in particular is those conversations and that type of information being shared is so natural. It happens in life groups. It happens when you're just out in the the foyer talking after a sermon. I mean, I think that's what makes church so amazing is that you get to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ and hear about how things are going in their life and maybe even hear about what's happened in the past in their life and, and listen. So I don't know. I, I think 
for our church in particular, I think hats off to the, the congregation for making that such an easy and natural thing to do. Yeah, I agree. Like one moment that I remember clearly at the beginning of 2020 is a good friend of mine in the church um, a black brother, he said, you know, there's certain places I don't book vacations for our family. I said, what? He said, yeah, those are places that's not going to be a comfortable place for my family just because of the color of my skin. Now that just twisted my heart. And, but it was helpful for me to hear that because I never think that way. Mm-hmm. I never think that way about where I would take my family on vacation. My only question is, can I afford it? Yeah. You know, it's not about how I'll be received. And uh, I think hearing different perspectives without labeling each other and shutting down conversation is a Christ-like way to communicate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think another one, are we trying to guard against godless ideologies from entering the church? This is important that we're looking at all things around us in sports, media, and entertainment to ensure that we're not allowing these types of ideologies to infuse the, the church in our congregation. I know. And and we had people during 2020, I've had people even in 2021 who started coming to our church. And you'll hear things like we were told that basically we need to repent of, of our whiteness. Yeah. So this kind of guilt heaping on people and the obvious allowing a godless ideology to impact the preaching and teaching of God's word. And we all have to be careful of that. It's so easy to let agendas flow in and seep into the preaching of God's word. But that was happening a lot. And so people genuinely were afraid. Are the ideologies in our current world now being allowed to be basically the outline for sermons? Because Mm -hmm. there were sermon series that were just going on and on and on about racial justice. And you're like, okay, is that an agenda? And so people were genuinely concerned and understandably so. Yeah. Just being white means you're racist. I mean, that is something that infused our culture big time over the last couple of years. And sure, I'm, I'm certain there were people that were fearing that that was going to be infused into the church as well. Well, yeah. And some of it made Christianity just seem impossible. I can't do anything about Thomas Jefferson having slaves. Right. I can't do anything about that. It's a horrible thing, but yeah. he did. I can't do anything about the red line districts that were were made after the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. They were horrible, but I can't do anything about that. I can't change the color of my skin, nor should anyone else be told to do that. Mm -hmm. So, So what happens is when this kind of guilt is placed on people, where do you run with that? You know, and if the gospel is downplayed so that this kind of ideology is pronounced and preached and taught, it just heaps guilt on people. And that kind of guilt there's nowhere to go with it because I can't change any of that. So true. Yeah, I agree. Well, Brian, I think um, we're going to have a lot to talk about with regards to how the church should react when it comes to racial and social justice. And can you give us a little teaser on what we're going to hear about in the next episode? Yeah, I think for the Christian, the big question is, is the Bible sufficient to teach us about racial reconciliation or not? Because right now there's this new hermeneutic, and hermeneutic's just a fancy word to mean Bible interpretation. And basically what we're hearing is that it's not about individual sins anymore, it's institutional sins. It's systemic, it's structural. And we've also got a new canon. Instead of referencing what the scriptures teach about racial reconciliation, you hear believers speaking this way. My whole spirit changed, my whole attitude changed when I read this book, and you need to read this book too. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with books. 
But when we're saying that we got our whole understanding of racial reconciliation changed, altered, transformed by something other than the scriptures, that's concerning. Yeah. Looking forward to that. My name is Ryan. And my name is Brian. Join us next time for more scripture and plain reason. God's word is true. God's word is clear. 